Bibles, if you have one, Colossians 2. Uh, we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit uh, in, in this morning in Colossians. We even may make it to Revelations 3 if I don't talk too much. Um, but i got a question for you this morning. Have you ever been deceived in your life? And I don't mean real, just a little deception. I mean really deceived, as in purposely. I mean, other people might have even saw it coming, and you had no clue whatsoever. And all of a sudden, you realize, I've been had. I can't believe this. And it may be years later that you look back upon that and say, I was had. Today's passage, this is exactly what Paul is talking about. As believers, we need to know about the deception of the devil, the deception of this world. He says, I'm writing these things for a reason, so that you won't be tricked. Oh, man, when we are tricked, <laughs> don't you, I mean, it goes from, a, you, you kind of go through the whole pattern of, uh, of grieving, you know, you, you go from sadness to getting hacked off to, you know, all those little patterns, you know, you just get so mad about it. Now, did you know in some cultures it's actually considered an art form and part of the doing business and negotiations is, is how much can I deceive the other side to get what I want? And, and it's very acceptable in, the, in this world. In fact, diplomacy is often done like this between nation states, United States and Iran. Um, you know, both sides are trying to hide certain things, and, and uh, you definitely see this between enemies trying to further their own agenda. Um, you know, if you were to actually tell the, the whole truth, people would get very upset. I mean, we saw this, and I'm not trying to be political here, but I'm saying we just saw it uh, logistically in the Iran deal that we just made. You know, there were some side deals made that weren't revealed, and it came out uh, a little later that there were some side deals done. That is acceptable in world diplomacy. Now, we may go, wait a second. I, you know, if that happened to me, I'd be very upset. But in the world, that's the way it works. One of the biggest deceptions in all of the, you know, in all the wars that we've ever had was against, uh, you know, the Allies uh, against Germany. And the way that we deceived Germany, uh, Germany in the um, Normandy invasion. It's a fascinating study in history, really. Um, you know, to, to see what it took to deceive them into thinking that we were going to invade in Calais and not in Normandy. And also that, the, you know, the deception that, that we weren't prepared, that, that was coming months and months away, you know, a lot further away than was actually reality. I mean, we set up whole, I mean, these guys are carrying a tank around. It's a balloon. Think of a jump house. That's a uh, you know, not a modern day, a uh, latter day, I guess, uh, jump house. I mean, we set up whole fields of, of planes that were out of wood, and if the planes flew over way up in the sky and they took pictures, they saw hundreds and thousands of planes getting ready and thousands of tanks. And they even had blow-up men that they would put around, and they would, they go, would go out there every day and they would move the blow-up men and, and, and put them in different places so if the planes came over, they would see activity down there on the ground. Talk about the deception. I mean, this looked real. They were preparing for it. I mean, other things were going on. 26 different sites from Norway to Crete to Romania 
were happening to deceive the Germans on what was going to happen. The ruse was, was so successful that even after the Normandy invasion, the, the high command of the German government, they took two months before they actually moved all their men to Mo- Normandy because they still thought that Calais was the place that the real invasion was going to happen. Are you talking about a good deception? I mean, they were tricked, praise the Lord. Deception is an interesting thing. Paul tells us, I'm telling you these things about Christ for a reason. About life, about God, so that no one will deceive you with a well-crafted deception. I think it was, uh, what is interesting is we have to come to the conclusion and the fact in our own life that someone would try to deceive us. That there is a deceiver out there who is very intelligent at what he does. That that deceiver would, fill, uh, you know, would, would figure out how much of our own press that we are believing. You know, we build ourselves up to think in one thing, and the deceiver comes along and goes, I got him now. How much of our own strength we're relying on in this life, how much of our own intelligence that, you know, that, that we think we're faultless. So like, I can't be deceived in this one area. I'm rock solid where there's weak spots so he can deceive us. Now, before you think this is all intellectual arguments, look at verse 8 in Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. I think sometimes it's, it's easy to, fill, uh, you know, to fool us. We have tanks filled up with air and empty philosophy that's out there. High-sounding nonsense that we, we are attracted to, that we take to. He goes on and says, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of the world rather than Christ. So Paul is, is truly uh, and clearly believes that the people he is reading, that are reading this letter, that he is writing to, that this stuff is happening to them and their group. Uh, you know, captured by ridiculous nonsense. You know, how could they be wrong? They have so many followers. I mean, come on, look at them. I mean, they're growing, they're doing this, and, and people are just attracted to that. There must be something there. Then the deception is on. Or they sound so intelligent on the subject, therefore, they must be an expert on it, so therefore, I will listen to them. We have this appetite to know exactly how everything works. When we, uh, you know, when we need to say, I don't understand, uh, really in our life we need to say, I don't understand how everything works when it comes to your ways, God, but I still trust in you. You know, yesterday I, um, I, we took our son out to the harvest party out at the, the fairgrounds, and, and boy, it was, it was huge this year. I mean, last year it was like tripled in size. A number of people, and uh, Brandon at one point goes, "I gotta go to the bathroom." Okay, now he, I mean, talking about bathroom issues in front of church, I don't know why, but uh, he does not like flushing toilets. Okay, so he's decided that any time a toilet flushes, and if he's near it, it takes his power away. <laughs> so I mean, he'll flush and he'll run out of the room. If you're in the way, he'll he will just run you over. Okay. 
Um, so, so we go into one of the porta potties, and he's in there, and he's going. Unlike Brandon, it, it doesn't flush. It's okay. No, 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 Brandon, Brandon, it doesn't flush. It's okay. By the sixth time, I'm like, Brandon, put your arms down. It doesn't flush. I mean, you know, I'm getting kind of irritated. But he's, you know, he thinks that all toilets work that way. You know, all, okay, anyway, I'll, I'll get off that subject. But the deception, you know, is there. He thinks it's one way. And I'm like, Brandon, afterward, I'm like, you need to trust me when I tell you certain things. And then he's getting mad afterward out, outside. I'm like, Brandon, no, 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 no. You need to trust me. And that's what God says to us. Alan, you need to trust me here. And I'm like, uh, you know, put my hands to my ears. La, 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 la. And God's like, Alan, Alan, we've gone over this. How many times have we gone over this? Alan, come on, how many times? Trust me. Trust me. It's all about trust. Because belief in God will make you look narrow-minded and not very hip, or whatever word you want to use that's hip now, you know? Even the media makes you, look, you know, out like an idiot. I mean, if you're a Christian, I mean, they just kind of roll their eyes going, come on. How could you ever believe that stuff? I mean, it used to be subtle in the mocking of Christians, but, but now it's become outright on, you know, it's just right there on TV. I mean, the, the, you know, the pastor of the church is, is, is shown to be out of date. Either the pastor wants your money or he's having an affair. That's what the world thinks because that's what TV tells you happens. The Bible is just looked on as a, as a nicer of the religious books. It goes all, you know, all the religious books are all right here lined up, and, and the Bible just happens to be a little nicer than all the others. That's how it's looked at, all lumped into the same thought. A crafted argument and really an attack on Christ, slowly wearing us down, chipping away at our faith, at our belief system. You know, the, the, kind of the old saying, Christ alone. Christ alone. Well, why do we add the alone part? Because the world wants us to add all this other stuff to Christ, doesn't it? Christ is just one of the gods out there, the world will say. Or it's a generational thing. You know, the next generation, you know, as a father, I see... uh, I see the, uh, a generation that won't listen to someone who isn't being nice. And they'll only listen to those who they say are tolerant. Do you, are you following me at all? And what is tolerance nowadays? Anything but Christ. You go out there and you start talking about Christ, you're intolerant. But you can talk about Muslims, you can talk about Mormonism, you can talk about all these other things. But as soon as you start talking about Christ, you can talk about Hinduism, as soon as you start talking about Christ, you're being oppressive and you're no longer tolerant. You know, over the years as you grow up, uh, hopefully you get nicer. I think I've gotten a little nicer. I'm not so uh, abrupt on certain, thing, you know, certain things. But by the power of the Holy Spirit and a great wife, I've learned to be nicer over the years, and we become nicer with compromise. But we need to not be so nice that we don't tell the world about Christ. Verse 4, it says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine 
sounding arguments. Just because someone's a better debater than you does not mean they're right. You know, they have debate teams. I, I think a, a prison, uh, I forgot what prison it was somewhere in the, in the um, Northeast, uh, just beat the Yale debate team. So they had a prison debate team, went up against the Yale debate team, and the prison took this, um, the side, and I, I wish I would have looked it up, but I, I just kind of heard it in passing. But, I mean, it was a ridiculous side that the jailmates took. But they, in the debate, they won the debate. Even though, by law, they were incorrect. They just had better arguments. I tell you this so that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. What he's talking about is being counterfeit. How did Christ handle things with arguments? This is a good lesson for us. A lot of times he answered a question with a, uh, or he, he answered a, a question with a question. He didn't allow himself to be backed into a corner. Because when they ask the question, what they're trying to do is pin you into a corner. Well, if I ask this and you answer it, you must think what I just said. He's like, well, that's interesting, but, but let me ask you this. Don't be, you know, don't be baited into arguing about Christianity. Because if that person is a better debater, in the end, you will solidify their position and they'll get one step closer to hell. It's always better to discuss religion. It's never good to debate it. Then answer a question with a question a lot. Take it to a deeper level. Ask yourself, why are they asking this question? Why do they really want to know? Are they trying to box me into the corner? Or are they really asking about what I believe or not? Because some people just like to fight. Do you have a friend that just likes to argue and fight all the time? I mean, I think we all know somebody that, that you know, is like that. And if you're like that, <laughs> start praying <laughs> that the Lord will change you. You know, because fighting for fighting's sake, all it does is destroy friendships. So how do we prepare for debates? It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And he's talking about deceptive religious philosophies here. You know, back in the day, the Greeks, um, the Greek philosophy, it all came back to religion. And, and we kind of forget about that in the Greeks because we haven't really studied a lot about that. But it always came back to religion in their philosophies. Even the most stoic critic, you know, and critical thinkers of the first century came back to the religious philosophy. According to the traditions of man and the basic principles of the world, and here's a good question for you here. What human traditions are out there? What basic principles of the world where traditions override faith and therefore become the faith? Do you, are you, you know, I keep saying, are you following me? But you know, I'm trying to think, what traditions have we allowed into a church? And you can take any church, I'm not saying this church, okay? But into the church of God, and to the, 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 the believers of, uh, that Jesus died for their sins, the church, we've allowed traditions to overtake certain things. Where thoughts or attitudes of the world become the faith. I think tolerance is one of them. Tolerance of, of well, we just got, well, you know, Jesus is love. It says, in the, it says in the New Testament right there, it says Jesus is love. 
So therefore, you need to love everything in the world because Jesus is love. And we're like, whoa, 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 wait a second, what about sin? Well, no, Jesus is love. So therefore, as a Christian, you have to be loving. Well, I can be loving and still tell you you're dead wrong. The way I say it makes a difference, but I can still be loving about it. We have, to, we have to stand firm. We have to prepare ourselves and our families so we're not persuaded by the world's Christless philosophy. If Paul says, if these things are going to be put out there, how do we, prepu- how do we prepare ourselves? Well, think about a counterfeit bill for a second, okay? Have you ever run across a counterfeit bill? I actually have one, so if you work at a bank, Pam, don't say anything. Um, I actually have one that I, that I got uh, as change when I, from a McDonald's, and I went over, and I, I was being a great husband, and I went to go buy flowers at the grocery store. And I have the flowers, and it's, the water's just dripping. And I hand the bill to the lady when I got out there, and she looked at it, and all the ink's running everywhere. She goes, this isn't real. <laughs> and she's supposed to call the police at that point. And she hands it back to me, and I said, well, let me give you some other money. And she checked it out really close and said, this one's real. And I kept the fake $10 bill. I, I didn't bring it this morning with me. Technically, I shouldn't have it. But, I mean, clearly it's a fake because it's all, ink is all rant, so. But what is the most common way to, uh, that counterfeit bills are detected? Is it machines, scanners, computers, all our technology? No. It's the person at the cash register or it's the bank teller. Our human minds, for some reason, and the short amount of time that it passes through our hands, when there's a cleanup on aisle five that needs to happen, or why is this person wearing a hoodie and 110 degrees and big old glasses standing in the bank, or when is my break because I really, really need to go to the bathroom, or I'm really hungry, what am I supposed to be making for dinner tonight? You know how our minds just kind of, you know, we're talking to somebody and our minds going 30 different ways? This happens to all of us, and all that distraction The money is handed over, and all of a sudden their mind goes, wait a second, this this doesn't feel right. It's just like almost instant, because they have been trained. It's hard to duplicate the feel of real money. It really is. Their mind, you know, in their minds, it it kicks into their eyes, and all of a sudden they're like, "Well, well, this doesn't look right. Why is that? Because they have been trained. Now, how have they been trained? Did they get a degree in counterfeit detection? No. Most places you work at, you have like a one-hour training, maybe a two-hour training. If you work at a bank, it's a longer training on money and and all those different things. But they've handled real money over and over and over. And they're trained to spot the fake because of that. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You know, Paul is is saying with us, in the 36 or 37 verses of Colossians that we've studied so far, he's been handing us the real thing. He's been saying, Christ is your hope. Christ is your truth. Christ is your gospel. Christ is your knowledge. Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness. Christ has redeemed us 
to the kingdom. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Christ was before all things. Christ is, you know, he, he existed, uh, or he's above all things. Christ is head of the body. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He's been handing us the real thing. He's been saying, you were the enemy, and God reconciled you to, to or Christ reconciled you to God. Christ is the one who will present you blameless in heaven. Not your good works, not your desires, not your attitude, but Christ. And you have to continue in faith. You have to continue to handle the real money. And then he says, don't go off and stray. He says, the glorious riches of, of the mystery which is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, this is our hope. This is our glory, Christ in us. Now, sometimes we have to pull Christ, I say out of us, but kind of clear the clutter so, Christ, so people can actually see Christ in us because sometimes the world gets in the way, the world that's entered our life. But this is our identity. Christ in us is our identity, and it should be our identity. Who are we in, our, in Christ? See, Christ is who we're becoming like. The path that we're on is called Christ. We're not just behind Christ on the path. He is the path. He is the way. He didn't just teach truth. He is the truth. He said, I am the truth. He didn't just give life. He said, I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Either you believe this or you don't. And if we believe it, we need to act upon it. See, this is what we've been studying for months, handling the money. So our senses are on high alert. So when, when something counterfeit comes out, when something false comes out, we go, that, that doesn't sound right. Because I, right here in Colossians, this is what I learned. And what you say is contradictory to what this says. So therefore, that is counterfeit. How do I know that? Because I've studied the real thing. I've studied the real thing. Our minds say, whoa, 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 wait a second. What is our child watching on TV? What is, you know, what are we clicking on, you know, on Facebook, you know, the like button? What, what are we liking? The other day I, I saw a deal about uh, uh, parenting and, and uh, comics and, you know, I, I always love, you know, the family circus and all those different things. But this one was an online deal and, and I started looking at it and the first joke had a cuss word in it and I was like, okay. Uh, and I scrolled down to the second one, second one's okay. And the third one it had another cuss word in it and I'm just thinking, okay, no, 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 I, th this isn't funny. I'm not going to hit like on that. I'm not going to enjoy that. Another question, what are we bringing into our households? You know, one of the jobs that, that I have as a father is to hit the pause button. And I love having the pause button on TV. I really do. Because when something comes on that Brandon should not be watching, what do I do? Pause. And he's going. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 Brandon, that, that's, that's, that's not for you. And I fast forward it or I get rid of it or I change it or whatever. You know, sometimes on the news, you know, stuff comes up about, about death and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, this murder or this thing happened and that. And, and I'm like, I, I, 
He will get there. He will understand the world. He doesn't need that at four and a half, almost five years old. Do you know what I'm saying? That's my job as a father. It's my job as a father to, to say, unless you can show me that philosophy of that show stands with Christ, delete, delete, delete. It's going to be very interesting with his friends because right now I can kind of regulate who his friends are, you know. But now he's starting to go to, to, to school, you know, and, and that'll be very interesting. And he has a chance to find new friends and stuff. And he's like, Dad, can I go over Danny's house? Well, who's Danny? Who are his parents? What do they believe? Do they have dogs at home? If so, what kind? Is it a pit bull? No. I'm not against pit bulls. I'm against pit bulls around my child. I've seen too many things happen. I, I know those people, I, we have friends that love their pit bulls, but I'm sorry, the child pulls that ear one too many times, that tail one too many times, and that dog gets mad. It's not just a little bite. It could be a lot worse. Do their parents own a gun? Not anti-gun. Where is the gun in your house? Is it locked up? Is it in a safe? Is it behind a, behind a code? Does your kid get anywhere near that gun? Is your gun up on your shelf? No, 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 he's not going over there. It's my job to protect. It's my job to protect against the world. How do I know what the world is? I compare it to the real thing. What is the real thing? In Christ. These are basic things as a parent that I need to be asking about because I'm dealing with real life. I don't want counterfeit things in my life, and I certainly don't want them in my child's life. What movies will he see? You know, we still haven't taken Brandon to, to the movie theater yet. And we tried with the Lego movie, but he was still a little young and they had it really loud, so he was kind of freaked out by the first scene. But we thought about going to, to watch The Minions. And we thought about it. And it's a funny movie for older people and so forth, but, but really not. You know, it's really cute. It's got a lot of funny lines on it, but... But then we went camping with some friends, and they said, yeah, we, we looked into that movie, and, and we actually went and saw it because we were wanting to take our grandkids to it, and we decided, no, this, uh, we're not taking our grandkids to this movie. Because it was all about these little guys, the minions, finding the best evil person to serve in this world. Well, do I really want my four-year-old watching that? Me, personally? No. Now, some of you would say, man, Alan, you're starting to sound like an old fogey. Well, my answer would be, and I don't mean this in a haughty way, but how does that match up to what we believe in the light of Christ? It's my job to protect. My son will call me an old fogey when he gets older. Okay, well, let's move on. I, I have a couple more thoughts, but I'll... Verse 23, it says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Okay, well, let's look at this from a different way that Paul has, has prepared us. Not by telling us about Christ, but he has you know, prepared us for the counterfeit by also praying for us. If you go back to the beginning of the book, and I'm not going to go back there and read it all, but you will see, see that he started out the book by praying for those he was writing to. And it's a really cool prayer. And then all of a sudden, you know, that's in 1-3. 
And then you go back to 1 verse 9. He's, he's praying a whole different prayer for them. If someone asks you to pray for them and you don't know what to pray, open up Colossians 1.9 and pray that over them. That's a, that's a great prayer. That's an awesome prayer. That's a wonderful prayer. Sometimes we just do not know what to say. We'll start right there. Because we need to be praying for each other a lot more. If you are young and you're dating, you have some young people that eventually will date here. Maybe you're already doing it. First of all, you need to be dating somebody who's a Christian. Are you looking at me up here? You need to date some. I know everybody's going, where are you looking? Which young kid are you pointing out? All of them. Even young adults. You need to be dating somebody who believes the same thing as you, that is a Christian. You need to fall in love with someone who will, will bring you great things throughout your life. A wonderful marriage, not someone who's going to bring you misery. Okay? Because if you come across, if you end up getting married to somebody who's not a Christian, you will run into so many things that will cause you misery in your marriage. Now, I'm, not, I'm saying stick with that marriage, but it will cause heartache. The second thing you need to be doing is praying for each other out loud. It's hard to have your hands go to places or your mouth go to places when your date has prayed that you would have the mouth of God in the hands of God. You know what I'm saying? It gives you a second thought. We need to be praying for each other. And this goes to extended church, not on the dating aspect, but from the standpoint of we need to be praying for each other because Paul prays for us. He teaches us that we are not alone. And this is one reason why we need to be praying for each other, so we understand that having godly relationships that will pray for each other, we do not feel alone in this life because too many times we get out there in a situation we feel like we're all alone. We need to be in love with each other, to really care about each other, to want to hang out with each other. Paul tells, tells them, I'm glad to hear of your love that you have for each other. That's what he tells them at the very beginning of the book. And then he tells them in Colossians 2, he says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Paul's purpose in this life is for them to be encouraged and be united in love so that they may have full, uh, they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Doing life together should be a goal for Christians. That should be something we want, something we desire. Studying the word together, breaking bread together. You know, when I was dating Lisa, we were together a lot. That's what you do when you love somebody, right? You hang out together. The people started saying, wow, you guys are, are sh you know, you're hanging out together a lot. I would work a 12-hour shift at the grain elevator overnight, 7 a.m., I mean, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Then I would get up in the middle of my night and go have lunch with her. Why did I do that? Because I'm such a great, awesome guy? Well, yes, but that's not the reason. It's because I loved her, because I was falling in love. We were spending that time together. It was being together. That's what we should be as Christians. Even today, we do most things together. Not much that we do apart. Why? 
Because we love each other. You know, marriage should never be his friends, her friends. It should be our friends. Now, she get together with girls and ladies and goes and does different things, goes to lunch every now and then, and, and you know, goes and does, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go get my nails done and toes done with her, you know. She go hang out and, and, and do those things? Absolutely. But I know those friends, too. You see my point? Paul wants us, he's saying he wants this for the church, that we love each other enough that we want to be together, that we have a desire to hang out. We need it as Christians, don't we? We do. We need it as Christians. He goes on and tells us, I can tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. If we can stay firm in our faith in Jesus Christ, well, how do we do this? Well, by being in Christ, by being around others who are in Christ, by hanging out with each other. If we do these things, we will, be ne- we will never be talked out of our faith. And our lives will be much better off. You know, I had a, a friend that, um, I, I kind of mentioned this, uh, I, I think on Wednesday night, maybe maybe last Sunday, I'm not sure, but they had a very strong foundation. They got married, had kids, found a good church, things were going well, had Christian friends, and, and then something happened within that church, and, and that church shut down, and they never really found another church. Then they started having problems with their marriage. More kids came along. Now, over the years, all of a sudden, they're on a road to divorce. And I want to say this is most likely due to the fact that they got soft in their faith and they walked away from the church. Because guess what? We all have the underlining in our life of sin. We all have that. And what holds that sin back is what in our life? Christ the Holy Spirit, and us being around those that have the Holy Spirit in them also. That marriage was good when they were around people that held them accountable, that held them up, that supported them. And when they walked away from the church eventually, they, no, they were no longer firm in their faith. If you are firm in your faith, you will never be deceived. The enemy cannot see that we're coming, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like, it's almost like World War II. The enemy, well, you know, uh, wants to come at Normandy, but they're, he's faking that he's coming at Calais. But in Christ, with the right information, with the right information, the Germans would have never been deceived, right? Right? Well, we have the right information. That's Jesus Christ. And if we're firm in our faith, we will never be deceived. And the enemy can't land at Normandy while we think he's coming in at Calais. That can't happen. We'll say, wait well, wait a second, something's wrong with this. This is counterfeit. Somebody will hand that, we'll hand that $20 bill back and we'll say, no, 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 this, this isn't right. And we say, well, how do you know? Our answer is our faith. We will not be deceived because faith is living there, and it's what keeps us anchored. He says in verse 10, and you, you have been given fullness in Christ. One translation says, 
we are complete in our union with Christ. I love that. With Christ. This is what keeps us from wandering away. You know, it's an interesting um, debate on a scholarly level. Can you lose your salvation? You know, I grew up Southern Baptist. Once saved, once saved, always saved, brother. Okay, I thought that was funny. My thought is this. If, somebody, if someone were to grab your faith and try to drag it away from you, would you hold on for dear life? If somebody did that to me, they'd have a fight on their hands. But see, I don't think it, it happens like that. I think we just leave our faith on the table, and we wander away from it. We start wondering. Well, I used to go to church four times a month, and now I kind of go once a month, because, you know, life got busy. I want, I want a vacation. Hey, I go on vacations, too. I understand that. But, you know, life is busy. I used to hang out with other Christians, but, but you know, I, life got busy and now I don't. I used to study the Bible, but I, I just really don't have time. I used to come to the midweek study, but I'm busy now. And it just takes wandering away. And if you're taking notes, here's six ways not to wander away. And I promise I won't say come to church for all six of them, okay? But the first one is come to church. The second one is hang out after church. Go to lunch after church. Spend some time with each other. The third one is pray for each other. The fourth one is get together for Bible study. Join our Wednesday night group or start another group. This past Wednesday we needed more chairs. And we're like, wow, we're filling up tables. Let's go get some more chairs. And we needed to add some. The fifth one is hang out at other times. And the sixth one is, this one can be difficult sometimes, go on vacation together. Go have fun together. Go spend a weekend together. Talking about really getting to know people, go and enjoy each other's company. Now, you either may come back really strong with them, or you may go, I'm never going on vacation again with them. That's okay. You can still love them in Christ, right? Right? Okay, good. So come to church, hang out after church, or go to lunch with each other pray for each other, join a Bible study, or start a Bible study, hang out at other times together, and even vacation together. What do all these things have in common? Being together in Christ. That's what they have in common. That is the key. Being together in Christ. Paul is praying for us that we would be together and not stray away from one another. And I'm talking about the Christian community here, okay? Don't go for the counterfeit. Don't go towards the world. Now, what did Jesus say he would do if, if one of us strayed? Do you remember the story of the sheep? You know, 100 sheep, 99 of them were doing what they were supposed to do, and one, what did the one do? He strayed. And what did Jesus say? Ah, forget them, I'm done with them. I got 99 good sheep, why do I need that one? No, no. He said, I'm going to go after them. I'm going to leave the 99 in a protected place, and then I'm going to go find that one that wandered away. Well, what should we do when somebody wanders away? We should go after them. 
Too many people have walked away, and we need to go after them. If you're thinking of a person that has walked away right now, write their name down in your notes and then start praying for them. Start praying that God will give you an opportunity, <coughs> opportunity to connect with them and drag them back, kicking and screaming sometimes. Or over time, talking about that, hey, you know, I, I really, we, we miss you coming to church with us. You know, some people just want to know that they're missed. They just want to know. Well, Alan, I, I tried. Well, then pray and try again. But don't let it go. Do it through love. Don't do it through accusatory tone. But get them back. Maybe they've been in the pig pen too long and they're ready to listen. They may even say, like I said, you know, I've been gone so long, they, they won't want me back. And we, we go, no, 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 we really do. Remind them that they're much better with us than without us. Maybe they're not ready to come back again, but, but keep that connection. Let them know that they are not forgotten. Not forgotten. Okay, one more point, which usually means another 10 or 12 minutes. Paul sends a letter not only to the church in Colossae, but also to the other churches that were around, because they all read these letters. In fact, in verse 12, he says, Epaphras, one who, uh, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all, in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. This book was sent to Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossae. And these are three places, uh, you know, kind of three different places, but they were kind of a group together. And, and these towns were about six miles apart. You know, it's like here to Visalia, um, but, you know, it's a lot easier in the car than hopping on the donkey. You know what I'm saying? Uh, today, our world is so close versus back then. I mean, you could get over there in a day's journey uh, very easily, but, I mean, it was a journey. You know. Classe, uh, just some information behind them, they, they had springs of ice-cold water in Colossae. I mean, you're talking about you're out working, and you're just like, you go to the spring, you get that water. I mean, you're talking about refreshing. Ice-cold water. Have you ever had ice-cold water when you're working? You're just like, oh, it's so refreshing. It's really cool. Heropolis, now, was the exact opposite. Only six miles away, and they had hot springs from volcanic type hot springs. The, the steam would heat up their, uh, their water. In fact, they would, they would uh, mix it with the water. Uh, you know, it was so hot, they would mix it down and make hot tubs. And the Romans were really good. They loved their, their salons, uh, you know, modern-day salons. But they would go to these hot tubs and stuff, and that's why the town was there. Now, Laodicea didn't have either one. So they depended on these Roman aqueducts. And, and here's one actually built in the tubes. And they actually had, a, you know, basically, you know, like we pipe water, they were piping water. At certain points, it actually piped, and, and they would have lids that would come off them so because the calcium-rich water, they could scrape it out every now and then and clean out the pipes. And, I mean, we, then you look at this picture and you go, wow. I mean, this is the type of stuff the Romans built to travel water for. I mean, it looks beautiful, but the arches are just awesome. But w what matters is what's on top, the canal for the water going down. They were feeding the people. They were getting the water to, to people. 
Now, the cold water from Colossae would travel for miles, and when it, when it traveled for so many miles, what happened to it? It warmed up. So it attracted germs and mosquitoes, and by the time it got there, it was okay water, but it wasn't great water. I mean, not like the water in Colossae, you know. I mean, it's awesome there. And the warm water, what happened <coughs> to the warm water from, um, from uh, Heropolis? It cooled down. It arrived lukewarm. Not something that you really enjoyed. I mean, you didn't drink the water from Heropolis because literally the germs and stuff that would come into it and the, and the calcium and all that that would build up over those times, I mean, it would literally make you sick and you would throw up. This explains Revelation 3 a little bit more. When he writes to the, to, to the uh, towns or writes to the churches and he says, don't be lukewarm, Jesus says. See, John writes to the same people that Paul wrote to, yet John is writing 30 years later. The people who received the letter from Paul, I mean, they're receiving the letter from Paul. <coughs> I mean, Paul. I mean, you know Paul. I mean, he's uh, Paul. It's awesome to receive a letter from him. This is a big deal. You should be listening. Now, John is writing 30 years later, and he says these words. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But, do you, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to, to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and a salve put on your eyes so you can see to those I love, I rebuke, and discipline. Now it's interesting. Christ is still in love with the people who are lukewarm. But he says, you make me throw up. I still love you, but you make me throw up. You stink. You're not good for anything. But I love you. Therefore, so be earnest <coughs> and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me um, on my throne, just as I have overcome and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Christ, in, in Revelations, he gives seven different warnings to the churches. And what's interesting, and this is the harshest warning, but it's also the most comforting warning. If you're taking notes Write this down. No matter how ugly it gets in your life, God still loves you. No matter how ugly it gets in your life, God still loves you. When you love someone, you want to be with them, and that is Christ in our life. We started out refreshingly, you know, refreshingly cold, and now we become lukewarm. We started out therapeutically hot, and we become lukewarm. How does one become lukewarm? 
by neglect. We haven't been mixing with the with the, the source enough. We haven't, you know, we haven't we're not close enough to the source. And it's the further away that we get from the actual source, they got worse and worse for our life. You know, this is one of God's names, by the way, living water. He says he is the source. He is the living water. That's one of his names. Come to me, all who are, her, who are weary and thirsty. Drink from me, and living water will spring forth from your life. You've become like Colossae. You've become like uh, Heropolis. And, and, and that's what you need to become like. And you need to not be like Laodicea. This is why we have to come to church regularly. This is why we need to stay in relationships uh, longer than what we are. We have to stay strong because the cold water needs to remain cold and the hot water needs to remain hot and it needs to come from the source, which is in Christ. I've kind of harped on that the last couple of weeks, huh? Lukewarm is not appealing for anything. Lukewarm is not a good bath, is it? Lukewarm is not good for water, is it? It's not good for coffee. Hey, I'm going to have a nice can of lukewarm Diet Coke. It's going to be great. I mean, a few degrees colder or warmer, depending on the drink, makes a world of difference. So most preachers would stop right here and say, so get out there and get hotter. Get hotter for Jesus. But you can't get hotter for Christ. You have to get with Christ. He's the microwave. He is the source. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I love the Lord. He starts out with a meal all, all the time. He loves to eat. I love that about God. Now let me ask you something. How many of you have heard the scripture uh, right before the preacher uh, you know, calls all the sinners down to repent. Anyone? There's a four people raising your hands. You've never heard this verse being used, calling people down to repent, the sinners down to repent. You know, those come to Jesus because he's knocking at the door. And a lot of pre- I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist. I mean, they would, this, uh, you know, I mean, what, what was that song that we always sang at the end? Well, anyway, um, there's several that, that just, you know, I, uh, they're, yeah. Anyway, but they're like calling the, you know, those to repent, calling those that, that have never known Christ to come down because he's knocking at the door. And they're contextually completely 100% wrong. It's amazing to me how many preachers can miss the target audience of this scripture. Who is this scripture for? The church. It's for us. It's for the believers. We've shut Christ out in our life. And Christ is sitting there going... Alan, open the door. Alan, I'm ready to come back in. I'm stuck outside. Let me in and I can heat up the place. Let me in, I'll give you ice cold refreshment. I mean, refreshments are healing, right? I can bring it. And then Christ says, somewhere between AD 60 and AD 90, this church changed. This church changed. Paul started out, I hear of your love for each other. Then 30 years later, John is sitting there writing to him going, you guys, 
<laughs> You're neither hot nor cold. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I can't even enjoy your presence. It's really weird to think that God can be outside the church knocking on the door. I mean, that's bizarre, but it can happen. Don't let that happen to your life. Don't. Let's open the door to Christ. Amen? Let's keep our doors open. Because when we shut out Christ, our life takes a direction, a path that is not healthy. Not healthy at all. And we slowly, over time, wander away. And that is never good. It's never good to be too far from the source because you become lukewarm instead of hot or cold. Well, let's stand and pray as we uh, finish up today. Lord, I, I pray for those that are here today. I pray for your spirit that you would give us a spirit of, of either hot or cold in our life, that we do not become lukewarm, that we continue to come to the source, which is you. Sometimes this world, Lord, it takes us down a path that we should not be on, and we need you to drag us back. We need you to coax us back. We need you to, to say, I miss you, I want you back. Have a relationship with me. Because we need to be in you, uh, in you Jesus, in you, Christ. And I pray for those that maybe have felt like they've walked away, gotten too far away from the source, that they would turn around and start walking back. Because you are at the door knocking. You're knocking on, on our hearts saying, I want to have a better relationship. And you come in and you eat with us. You don't reject us, Lord. And we thank you for that. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he give you rest. May he give you cold refreshment. May he be the source of your love and your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful day.